Let's uh, give God some praise really quick. Can we just lift up God? Isn't he awesome? And I uh, just want to lift up our students who came up here today. It takes a lot of courage to come and speak in front of such a big group. So, Teen camp, uh, as you can tell, was an amazing, an amazing week. And uh, we had just about, just short of 500 students uh, from all over L.A. were up there this week. And another 150 uh, counselors and staff. And so it was just an amazing, amazing time. And I just want to, just before I get started... It was hard to watch that video and not feel emotional because, you know what, God's, um, didn't, didn't think that was going to happen, um, but God wants to use this next generation in a great way, and I want to encourage everybody in this room to continue to invest and pour your heart into this group because they're going to be the future, Amen. And um, But yeah, team camp was awesome. And uh, we just had a great time. Ayumi and I uh, actually didn't have the chance to go last year because we were having our child, Hannah. Well, she was having our child, and I was like, you can do it. You know, I was right there next to her. That's about as much as I did that night. Um, but yeah, we had uh, Hannah last year, so we weren't able to be there. So it was just so good to be back up there. Uh, for teen camp, and uh, actually while we were up there, it was Hannah's birthday this last week, and um, you know, when I'm up here and, and I can share a picture of Hannah, I'm just going to do it, you know, so uh, Ayumi doesn't really like this picture, but, but check this out, look at that, straight, she's a gangster, if you didn't know that, she gets that from her mom, I'm saying, and this, and this is the side she got from me right here. That's from me, you know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. She's sweet, just like her mom. And uh, she turned one. She just started walking this last uh, week and a half. And so uh, things are going fast, and um, it's been a great journey so far. Um, but anyways, as we get started this morning, I just want to say what, a, what an honor and privilege it is to be up here in front of you. Um, I'm just an imperfect person speaking to an imperfect group of people. Uh, obviously, God's grace is amazing, and I definitely never want to take it for granted having this opportunity to be in front of you guys. It is an honor, and I uh, just want to say thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity to speak this morning. And uh, we're approaching the end of a series that we've been doing called Connect. And uh, we've been doing this for the last few weeks. It's on this idea of relationships and connecting with one another. And uh, before we get into that this morning, though, I want to just uh, ask you to stand to your feet as we read God's word, just to show him some honor this morning. Amen? Can we get an amen? amen. John chapter 1, verse 14. I actually read this uh, about three weeks ago in the lesson that I did from the series, and I want to read it again, but I'm going to show you something different uh, this week. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. What's that say? Full. Full of grace and truth. We talked about this passage and these verses a couple of weeks ago, but I really want to zero in on the word full. 
It says that Jesus was full, full of grace and truth, but specifically thinking on this amazing reality that Jesus was full. And it goes on to say in verse 15, John testified concerning him. John the baptizer dropped a beat. He said, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Those are some serious lyrics right there. And he goes on in verse 16 and he says, out of his what? One more time. Out of his? Out of his fullness. Think about that. Out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. He says we are to receive fullness from our connection to Jesus Christ. I want to preach today on this beautiful reality of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his fullness. Father, we come to you in prayer uh, this morning as we get started we really want to lift up Jesus' name. God, it's the one name on heaven and on earth that every knee will bow, that everybody will call out Lord. God, he is so amazing. Your son is so incredible. God, we want to lift him up this morning, and we just want to say thank you for Jesus. If there's nothing else we get out of today, that we would just be grateful that Jesus gave his life for us, that we would never let a day go by, Father, without recognizing him and what he's done, and giving you all the glory. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you sent to live with us and in us so that we can live a life of freedom, that we would no longer be enslaved to our sin, but God, that we would have the strength to overcome any chain that has us bound down. So break chains today, Father. Bring healing into relationships and show your mighty power amongst us. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat, but give uh, three to four people a high five as you take a seat. Say good morning. All right, all right. I said four people. I'm just kidding. All right, I want to start off with a question, a lighthearted question. Do we have any uh, puzzle people here in the crowd today? Like, you like puzzles, raise your hand. Okay, okay. Like, like, you're, like you're one of those pe puzzle people that really loves puzzles, okay? You got to really love puzzles, though. I, I know my mom likes puzzles somewhat. I know for sure Clara Ardron is a puzzle person, okay? Yes, some serious puzzle action going on at her house. Now look, I'm, I'm not really a puzzle person at all, and it's not that I don't like puzzles. I just don't really understand any amount of enjoyment that human beings get from putting together a puzzle. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry to offend some of you. And uh, one of my issues with puzzle people, especially high-level puzzle people, because you have like your, you know, like they do puzzles, like 100-piece puzzles, you know what I mean? But like serious high-level, like, I don't know. 5,000, okay. I was going to lowball that like 1,000, you know what I mean? But 5,000, that's serious, okay? So one of my issues with, with puzzle people, especially the high-level puzzle people, is that as soon as they get their puzzle together, what do they do? 
they immediately break it apart. Put it back in the box and move on to the next puzzle. I mean, can we enjoy what you just accomplished? I mean, can we like glue it together and maybe frame it and just, and just admire your skills of putting puzzles together? But no. Real puzzle people are always on to the next puzzle, the next great frontier, the great next challenge. See, this is a secondhand illustration, so I, I really have no personal emotional investment in putting uh, a puzzle together. But I've heard that one of the most frustrating things about being a person who loves puzzles are those often rare moments. They do happen, but it's those moments where you're at the end of a puzzle that's maybe been around for a little while, only to realize that there are missing pieces. Yeah, I could feel it. I could just feel the tension in the room. One piece, maybe two pieces, maybe three pieces. I've heard that when you're only missing one, it's just like all the, all the more agonizing. It's like I've done all this work and I put in all this time and effort and it is in, incomplete and it is imperfect. It's as if everything you've ever known about life just falls apart and you begin to question the meaning of your existence. Hopefully it doesn't go that far. And so, and so I've heard that this is a very emotional thing for puzzle people, and I can't really relate, but there is one particular area of my life that I feel like I can relate to this emotional disposition. Uh, now don't you judge me, okay? Because you got your own problems, all right? But for me personally, for me personally, I just can't seem to function when my house is a mess. Can I get an amen? Anybody like me, you just feel like you cannot function, think straight in a messy home? I think I get that from my mom. Like you don't understand, I literally panic when I walk into my house and there's, a, there's stuff everywhere and I'm like, breathe Mike, breathe. Breathe, you're fine, it's not that big of a deal. It's really, I gotta really like give myself a pep talk, you know? I mean, this, this, this really happened the other day when I came home. I'm, I'm, I'm making my way through the house, trying to keep my cool, trying to keep my cool. And when I begin to notice certain artistic features on my dining room table, uh, as it has been covered with glue and paper, uh, fingerprints, and an assortment of liquids and sauces. And little do you know that dirty tabletops and counters is probably... Uh, one of the things that drives me the most loco, uh, probably drives me crazy more than anything else. So I, I move on to the kitchen where I'm going to get the spray to clean the table. And as I walk into the kitchen, I discover there's a sink full of dishes waiting, me, waiting for me, you know, walk in. They're like, hey, Mike, come over here and wash me, right? So I walk over there to wash these dishes. And, and it really, that's not a big deal for me because my wife makes, she seriously hooks it up with amazing meals like every day. And so for me, I feel like, man, I could do my part and wash a dish, you know what I'm saying? Come on, yeah, so it's a partnership we got going there, right? Uh, but in order for me to do the dishes, I have to put the dishes that have already been washed, I gotta put them back in the cabinet, right? So I open the cabinet and I immediately notice a problem. And the problem is that the dishes are not stacked in an orderly way. 
Again, I feel like you're judging me right now. <laughs> like, 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 they should, like they should be in an orderly way because why wouldn't dishes be stacked in an orderly way? You know, right? Why wouldn't they? You see, dishes should be stacked from largest to smallest. And if you have maybe containers that are the same, you can kind of stack them in with each other and save space, right? Well, that's just the way I think God made dishes to be. But don't judge me. Don't judge me. Okay. You have your own issues, okay? You do. But uh, I just can't even begin to describe to you emotionally how I feel when my house is a mess. And it's really not that big of a deal, but, it, you know, it does matter to me. You know, I, I get this feeling. I feel like undone. I feel incomplete. I feel like I can't function. You know, I'm trying to like, even having this week, I'm trying to work on my lesson. But all I can think about is like this one mark on the wall in the other room. And it has to get wiped off probably in the next five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't stop thinking about what I need to clean before I can actually just focus on what I need to get done. You may not be able to relate with me, but you have your stuff, okay? So I don't know what your thing is. Maybe, maybe you bought a piece of furniture from a store before. Maybe you went to Ikea and you bought a piece of furniture and you're right at the end of building this piece of furniture and you realize that there is a missing screw or there's a missing bolt that you need. And it's just like this feeling of incompleteness about your life. Or another illustration, you know, we just got back from teen camp a few days ago, which means some of your teenagers were away in Big Bear for five whole days, right? And that's exciting for the few, first few days. You're like, yes, you know, like get some time to be with my spouse and just to be alone and you really enjoy it. And, and, and even though you're excited too that, that they're gonna go up to camp and they're gonna learn more about Jesus and connect to his love, maybe there was a sense of incompleteness in your family. That when your teen finally came home, you felt complete. And, and as a family, you finally, you finally felt whole again. Because you're together. You know, what's overwhelming for me to think about is that just about every person on this planet lives with this internal feeling and sense that something about their life is incomplete. Everybody. That there is a deficiency, that there is a, a lacking of something in their life. And of course, if there is a God, who, which we all know that there is, and he created us in such a way that when the created is not connected with the creator, that there is a sense of incompleteness. There is a sense that something is missing in our life. There's a sense of deficiency. There's a sense of you're lacking something. You cannot possibly feel full. You cannot feel complete. And we, of course, try to solve that feeling, that, 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 that feeling that something is incomplete. But the more we seek after things and, and stuff and relationships to fill that sense of incompleteness, oftentimes it just grows and gets bigger. You can imagine how this emotion and this state of being affects how we do relationships dramatically. If you have a sense of deficiency, if you have a sense that something is not right, that there's something lacking, that there's something incomplete, you're missing a piece, your house is a mess, your life is in disarray, 
If you bring that feeling as you try to befriend people and connect to people and and interact with people, what happens is that instead of serving people, you use people. Instead of adding things to people's lives, we seek to take things from people in order to satisfy this internal sense of incompleteness. And our relationships turn into a means of filling me. Because I need someone to make me feel better. And obviously all kinds of relationship drama unfolds. This is what really costs people their marriages. You know, because no one is meant to bear the full weight of your soul. No person on this planet is able to carry everything that you carry in your heart. Nobody can. Only one person, his name is Jesus, can carry that load. It is so unreasonable for us to put that load on another person. And it's what costs people their marriages. It's what costs people their friendships because even though we can't explain it, in so many ways, we all have this place of deficiency that we are relating to others from. And as a result, we think so much of ourselves when we are in a group of so many people. So what's so amazing to me about Jesus is that the Bible says Jesus came to this planet and he is, by definition, the first human being who is complete. Think about that. He is the first human being that is complete. He is full. He lacks no thing. He lacks nothing. Therefore, he has no deficiency. He has no needs. He's the guy that you want to be your friend because he doesn't need anything from you. So the fact that he is near you is for you. I mean, I want you to fathom what it would be like to be friends with Jesus. I know we got the Holy Spirit, which is amazing. But I, 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 want, I want to specifically, I want you to think, you know, what would it be like to be Jesus' friend when he literally walked this planet, physically, tangibly, touching his cloak? What would it have been like to be one of the disciples that Jesus actually had a physical friendship with these people? What was it like hanging with Jesus? What was it like having a barbecue with Jesus? I mean, it would have been fish, of course, but what would it have been like for you to talk to Jesus while you are grilling his fish. It would all be about adding value to you. Jesus would be all about adding value to your life. It would be about listening to you. It would be about serving you. It would be about loving you. I mean, you would want Jesus to be around all the time. In fact, when Jesus came into social settings, Do you know what the Bible says, what his knee-jerk reaction was? Do you know? Do you know what he looked to do immediately when he was around others? Serve. Jesus' first reaction whenever he was around others was to serve. You see, when Jesus met someone, his first thought was, how can I serve this person? I walk into my home and I say, how can I serve my wife? 
How can I serve my mom or my dad? How can I walk into church this morning and serve somebody in this room? Why? Why was Jesus like that? Because he was full. Jesus was full. He lacked nothing. He sought nothing from no one. He came simply to add. Simply to serve. Wow. If you ever meet somebody like that, you better buy one of those best friends forever heart necklaces. You know the ones that you, you know, you give the other person and they connect to make one heart, right? You should buy one of those and give it to that person. Present it to them ASAP immediately. I mean, come on. Seriously. We've all ran into someone who is secure, haven't we? Who has a sense of contentment in their life. It's great to be friends with someone like that. Maybe you have the privilege of being married to somebody like that, where they just carry themselves with such contentment, with such security. They know who they are. They're not in constant comparison or competition, but they're at peace And all they're looking to do is add value to other people. Who doesn't want to be like that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to live like Jesus. And I know that's a cliche statement, especially in church, but I really do. I really want to be like Jesus in this way. Like when I go over to someone's house or when I'm at church, I want to socialize like Jesus. I want to be just like him. I want to walk into this room and think, how can I serve this person instead of being so caught up in me? And Jesus didn't come into a social setting totally consumed with himself and his problems. I mean, think about the time when his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. And he wants to get away to get some time. But what happens when he shows up on shore? There's a grip of people waiting there for him. And does Jesus say, sorry guys, it's all about me today? No. He starts healing people. What? Because Jesus was full. And even though he was hurting, he was full. And all he could do was look to add value to people's lives. I wonder if I could encourage that person. I think Jesus would think that. Jesus, to me, in Scripture, just seems to be the person who was always looking for creative ways to add to people. Don't you think? Let me spit in some dirt and rub it on your eyeballs. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus, like, probably thought of of some really cool stuff to connect with people. But he was always looking to add value, always to bring healing into somebody's life. I mean, let's just stop and think for a minute what would it look like if us as a church, hundreds of people lived and related and loved people from a full place. And that our knee-jerk reaction relationally was to give and serve and add value. I'm just here to tell you that that isn't even a prophecy, okay? Like, I can't even see into the future. I'm just telling you that you would have more friends. Some of you would have better friendships, You would have more friends than you would know what to do with if you found your fullness in him. Because some of us come into relationships so needy that all we do is like a black hole of sucking everything in. 
And when we're connected with Jesus, it reverses that. It really does. And in John chapter 1, verse 16, Jesus, or what John says about Jesus is he says, out of his fullness, we have all received. That's like past tense. Do you see that? Out of his fullness, we have all received the grace in place of grace already given. We get to receive. How, how do you receive? You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You simply trust it. You believe in it. You claim it. You receive it. It's as simple as saying, Father, today I receive from your fullness. I know I'm a broken person and I'm hurting. But I receive from your fullness and I find contentment and peace in who you've made me to be. See, I'm talking about receiving from Jesus' fullness to the point where you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually have a supernatural sense of completeness and fullness in Jesus. And this spiritual reality is available to you. Whether you believe it or not, it is available. It's, already, it's like it's, you've already received it. You just got to go up to the counter and say, I, I need this. I want it. Give it to me. And we can, we can have it by trusting in him. And in this process, what happens is it, it eliminates the one thing that can destroy relationships. It can destroy friendships and it can destroy community, which is, of course, this little word, insecurity. Insecurity. You see, insecurity is an emotional state and sense of incompleteness, deficiency, and imperfection. You see, insecurity is an emotional sense and, and a state of incompleteness, deficiency, and imperfection. Insecurity will paralyze you relationally and paralyze you socially to the point where people can be all around you, yet you can be alone because I don't measure up and I'm not enough. Well, I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news. You want the bad news first? I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is you're right. You're not enough. The good news is he's enough. That's good news, somebody. The good news is he's enough, and you can receive from his fullness as you begin to follow him. There's no way you can receive fullness from another person who's broken. We're all broken. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be made whole. It's not like 50 and 50 make 100. I know it doesn't math, but it doesn't work that way in relationships. I mean, you better be careful too. Because this will affect your personality. It really will if you can begin to catch on to this. Some of you put so much trust in your personality and you believe your personality type will always define your social skills. No, the work of Jesus Christ can transform you. Even your personality type and you can find security in him and you can begin to develop new relationships. You know what's amazing? You would think the older we get, the easier it would be to make friends. 
But in fact, it's the opposite, isn't it? Isn't it? The older we get, the more reserved and fearful and insecure we become. Don't you love that about kids? I mean, I love watching children and the way they just fearlessly connect with people. It's why I think Jesus said, like, to imitate the heart of a child. That's why we got to get back to that heart. You know what I mean? But it's amazing how, how many people, the older they get, they say, you know, you know I, I just I don't have a real good friend anymore. Well, why? Because you get scarred. You get used. You get hurt. And the older you get, we just seem to keep each other at arm's length distance. You see, church is not a place where we come to hear a lesson or hear a public speech, okay? Church is relationship. Church is community. It's, church is doing life together, and if we're going to extend ourselves and get involved in each other's lives, then we have got to learn to live from his fullness. Can God get an amen? You know, one of the greatest mysteries, and you're like, are we going to read scripture? Of course we are, okay? But one of the greatest mysteries of scripture is what, what they call uh, numerology, okay? Anybody heard of this before? Numerology? Numerology is defined as the significance of numbers within Scripture, okay? And I'm going to explain two to you today. And it's not to, like, get all weird or, you know, sometimes there's just a number that's just a number, you know? Like, but, but numerology is the significance of numbers within Scripture. It really is beautiful, and it is amazing. And we as a church believe that every word in God's holy Bible is divine. It is, it is from his mouth that God spoke these words, Amen? That this is God's inspired word, and what is in it is there for a reason. Now, the book of John starts off in chapter 1 with this theme that Jesus was full. He was complete. He lacked nothing. And this theme actually continues all throughout the book of John as Jesus interacts with a bunch of people who are incomplete. It's like the completeness, the fullness of God came into the world and he came to meet the needs of everybody else that was broken. That's like John. That's what that book is about. In fact, in, in, in John chapter 2, only one chapter later, the, verse, the first miracle of Jesus is performed. Now this theme of fullness seems to show up in this first miracle. And I don't think that it's an accident, okay? I really believe this is intentional and Jesus is trying through his word to teach us and tell us Something. So I just want to show you this, and, and you can decide what you think. But it's in John chapter 2, verse 1. What many people think is their favorite miracle of Jesus. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana or Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And I love Jesus' response. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, teens, campus students, do not reply to your mom this way when she asks you to do something. My hour has not yet come, mom. You'd be like, no, you better take that trash out right now, okay? I'll whoop your butt. I know you're 15, but I'll do it. And, and you got to love Mary. Seriously, his mother said to the servants, yeah, yeah whatever, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> That's great, Jesus. Yeah, I'm your mom. Do whatever he tells you. I, I love that. It's just like you see those little things in Scripture that come out. But what happens? 
What has happened? Well, the wedding has run out of wine. And in this culture, when the wine runs out, the party runs out. In this culture, when the wine runs out, the joy runs out. When the, when the wine runs out, the life runs out. And John tells us that they were flat out of wine, and yet there was still a whole lot of partying to do. And this is where it gets interesting. It says in verse 6, look what, it says, nearby stood what? Nearby stood how many? Six stone water jars. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, right? I don't know about you, I read stuff like this and I think, now is that even relevant? Do I really need to know that these were for ceremonial washing and that they could hold an impressive amount of water, 20 to 30 gallons? I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? Like, has someone ever been in the middle of telling you a story and they're going on and on and on and you're thinking in your head, uh, is this going somewhere? Can we get to the point here? Am I the only one? Or do, anybody really? Okay. Maybe you, I was the one talking to you, you know? And sometimes you read a scripture and you're like, is this really necessary? Really, John? Is this really necessary? Can we just get on with the miracle that Jesus is about to perform here? But the scripture is intentional and is completely inspired by God. And so it tells us that there are six stone water jars. Now, numerically, the number six throughout the Bible seems to speak to the idea of mankind's weaknesses, shortcomings, failures, sins. You hear about 666 in Revelation, the number of man, it's the mark of the beast. Six is what is known by most Bible scholars as the number of man. And John tells us that there are six water pots that are evidently, they are not full. Do you see what's going on here? I mean, the scripture doesn't explicitly say this, but could it possibly be that we are the water pots? We are mankind and we are not full and we have run out of wine. We are half empty. Maybe. In other words, we have run out of life and we have run out of fullness. We are the water pots, the six water pots, but here comes the seventh source, Jesus. Now the number seven is arguably the most significant number in all of scripture because it is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. Anybody know that to be true? Some of us? So here are the six water pots that are not full, and the seventh source, which is Jesus, says what? Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Now, again, do we need to know that? Maybe. I don't know, right? It says that they fill the water pots to the very top, because isn't this what Jesus does? Isn't this what Jesus does? He fills half-empty water pots. He fills lifeless, dead mankind. He fills their life to the brim. And then he says to the servants, he says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Isn't this the gospel right here? I mean, what did the water pots do to deserve this miracle? 
Anybody? Nothing. No thing. No thing. They were just there, and Jesus acted, and they were available. This is the gospel, isn't it? Some of us, how God takes people who are half empty and broken and, and incomplete, and he fills them to the brim. Now we go on from here, and the scripture continues to mysteriously, mysteriously as if it was on purpose, use the number seven, which again means completeness and wholeness and perfection. For instance, in John chapter four, we talked about this woman a few weeks ago. But Jesus goes to Samaria and he engages in conversation with a Samaritan woman and starts talking with her and he says, you know what? What does he say? He told her, go and call your husband and then come back. And she says, well, uh, sir, uh, I have no husband. She replied. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man now, man that you have now is not your husband who is number what? Six. What, have you, what you have said is quite true. So wait a minute. If she's had five husbands and the sixth guy that she's sleeping with right now is her boyfriend, then that makes Jesus what? The seventh man. The seventh man. It's as if numerically Jesus is saying, you've been working your way through all these relationships, but the relationship that you've been really looking for is me. You've been looking for me. And all these other relationships keep leaving you broken and insecure and incomplete. You've been looking for me. As if we feel like a person is going to meet that deepest need in our heart. It ain't going to happen. I'm the romance you're looking for. I'm the friendship you're looking for. I'm the counselor you're looking for. I'm the comforter that you're looking for. Jesus is our seventh man. Jesus is that relationship that completes us. Now, I love my wife. I love my wife. Of almost five years, and she is a much better person than me. I, I believe that with all my heart. That woman is incredible. She is an amazing woman, but she is not my God. She is not my God. She is not my Savior. She is not my Lord. She is not my Deliverer. She is not my Comforter. She is not my Redeemer. Okay? She is not the closest person to the soul of who I am. That parking spot has Jesus' name on it in my soul. And because Jesus is my ultimate relationship, only then can my marriage work. Because when I find my fullness in him, when we find our fullness in him, we can now engage in relationship, even marriage, from a place of fullness. If you're not connected to God, you're going to be broken and incomplete, and it's never going to meet the needs you have in your heart. It's going to happen. But it can work if we find our fullness in Jesus. Therefore, there is no deficiency. So now I can truly serve my wife. I can focus on adding value to her and not seeking from her. 
You see, I used to think marriage was two people at 50% coming together to make 100. Wrong. Wrong. Marriage is best when two people have found their 100% in Jesus. And they come together and they can serve each other fully. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the way it should be? That's when marriage works, but that's really when any relationship truly works. He is the seventh man. He is the perfect friend you've been looking for. And it's only when you find that true friendship with Jesus that you will be free to discover real relationship with other people at a level you never thought was possible. You know, the story goes on, and I'm going to show one more story, and we're going to close out this morning. Are you guys with me? The story goes on, and again, we are given details that I'm not really sure are necessary, but the Bible says that Jesus runs into a noble man. Same chapter, chapter 4. He's an officer of the Roman government, and the Bible says that his son is sick, and so he appeals to Jesus. He says, look, I know you're a healer. I know that you can perform miracles, so could you come and heal my son? And Jesus simply says in verse 47, it says, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the guy's like, yeah, that's cool, Jesus, but can you come and, you know, heal my son before he dies? Now it's at this point, let me go on one more verse here, 50. Jesus says, go. Your son will live. I don't even need to go with you, okay? Just go. Your son is healed. Your son is healed. Now it's at this point in the story where I'm thinking, why are we not following Jesus with the camera? Isn't this his his show? You know what I mean? Isn't this his reality show? Aren't we following Jesus around? Why, Why are we not following him around with the camera? Why in the world would we follow this Roman officer to his house, yet the camera goes home with the Roman officer And as the scene continues to play out before us, look what it says in verse 51. It says, he, he, the man, took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Amazing. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. Dude, who cares what hour Seriously? Like, who cares what hour your son was healed? He's been healed, hasn't he? And then we get the answer from the servant. He goes, uh, as a matter of fact, it was yesterday at the seventh hour. Seventh hour. The fever left him. I don't know. I don't know. The seventh hour, which tells me that Jesus is our perfect and complete timing. You know, so much of our lives is lived in fear and in anxiety and worry. We believe that all the good things in life are only granted to the fastest, the smartest, the best, the strongest, and I got to be at the right place at the right time with the right person saying the right thing, or I won't meet that special someone, or I will miss out on that opportunity, and I will not be fulfilled in life. And so we're all running around like busy bees declaring that Jesus is enough. When in fact, of all the people who followed Jesus on the planet, we are, to, we are the ones that should stand out from the crowd. 
How is it that you're so at rest? How is it that you're so at peace when all around you humanity buzzes like busy bees trying to work it out and make it happen? The people of God remain blessed and they, yet they have rest. Why? Because Jesus is my seventh hour. Jesus is my seventh hour. I'm confident in all that he has called me to be. I'm confident in all that he's called me to do. And and only he can truly bring me increase and I trust that our God is sovereign over my life, that he knows what's best for me. I just wanna encourage you, if you're single, and maybe you've watched a lot of your friends get married and and you think to yourself, I guess I missed out. I've done something wrong. Maybe I haven't done this enough or I've done that enough and I need to work harder in this area and maybe then I could find that special someone. Wait a minute. Hold on. We believe that Jesus is sovereign and he is in control and his plan is being played out in your life the way he wants it to. So you can sit there and be content with what Jesus is doing in your life. You have rest. You have peace, and you accept that Hebrew word, which is our spiritual reality in Jesus, shalom, which speaks of peace and wholeness and completeness. You know, what would it look like? What would it be like if we truly lived believing Jesus is our seventh hour? What would that be like? I mean, did, the, did that Roman officer do anything to deserve that healing? Wow, I'm way over time. need to wrap this up. Sorry, guys. He was like, hey, Jesus, could I? And before he could even finish his sentence, Jesus says, it's done, man. It's done. I don't even need to come. You're good. I got you covered. What would it be like if relationally and socially we literally believe that Jesus was our perfect friend, our perfect relationship, and we accepted that? What if we believed he was our perfect timing? What if we believe that he is sovereign over the years and months and weeks and days and hours and minutes and seconds of our life? I mean, how much drama would be sucked out of our relationships and social settings in our life if we just accepted him and his fullness? Thank you, God. I am who I am because of your grace, and now I am full from you. And now all of a sudden, you're free, aren't you? You're free. Because when you are full, you are free. You're free to give and serve because you're not working from a place of deficiency anymore. You're not looking for deposits. You're not looking for free handouts emotionally, verbally, and socially, but you're looking to do the handing out yourself. You're looking to encourage people and bless people and add value to people because you're brimming over with contentment and security and confidence and fullness in Jesus. This is not just good principles. This is not just good ideas. This is a spiritual reality available to us and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the good news this morning is that we can all receive from this fullness. Can God get an amen? So as we close out in prayer, I want you to stand to your feet. Everybody stand to your feet one more time. Some of you fell asleep. I got to wake you up. I want you to stand, and I want you to close your eyes here for a minute.
What is it in your life that is keeping you from receiving his fullness? You personally. What's keeping you from receiving his fullness? As a married man, as a married woman, as a single, as a campus and and high school student, you guys can open your eyes here for a second. You know, our students got this challenge at teen camp this week to do a one-month social media fast, which is like, dang, for them, you know, like, that's big. (laughs) But I'm proud of them because they decided to engage that challenge. It's something that I actually was starting to do a couple weeks before camp. And the reason why I did it is that I noticed that, for me, social media started meeting a need in my heart. I'm just going to get open before I pray. But it started meeting a need for me. That I could be in the same room as my wife and daughter, and yet all I'm focused on is getting attention from all these people on Facebook. Hey, like me. Like me. Comment on my picture. And I'm so hungry for their approval that I have a wife and daughter starving for my attention physically right next to me. And I didn't even see how much it was affecting my marriage until I stopped going on it. And my desire, the intimacy with my wife grew. It was incredible. I'm like, forget social media. I don't need you. I need Jesus. (laughs) But it, it just showed me how much these things, I mean, it could be social media for you. It could be technology. It could be anything. What, what's keeping you from being complete in Christ? This week, I want to encourage you. What is it for you? What is it for you? Jesus wants to be your seventh man. He wants to be your seventh hour. He wants to be the thing that completes you. Amen? Amen. Father, we close out our service in prayer. God, you are sovereign. You are so good. God, thank you for being complete. I mean, I just cannot help but my mind being blown as I'm talking, as I think about Jesus being full, and that it's out of his fullness that we can now receive completion. And God, I know that for some of us, there's things in our life, there's, there's objects, there's money, there's, there's people, there's relationships, there's, there's things that, that we put all of our trust in and and we get so tight-fisted and we want to hold on to it, God, but I pray that we would let go. Because the tighter we hold on, the more insecure we become, the more afraid we get of losing that one thing. And God, you don't want us to live in fear anymore. God, you want to break that chain in our life. So I pray that we would let go and find our completeness and our fullness in you today. Holy Spirit, put it on our heart, each one of us, what that one thing is that is keeping us from being fully connected to you. Show us so that we can be full and so that we can add value to everyone around us, just like Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you. We lift you up. We are so grateful. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Sorry it took so long today. Um, But that's our service. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, we'll see you around on Tuesday. You guys have a great day.